for sharing the word of the Lord with us this morning. Well, we've already had lots of fun. <laughs> Maybe fun's understatement. Lots of uh, things to thank God for. This scripture passage, I'm going to just jump right into it. It starts with a pretty startling statement. The end of all things is near. The end of all things is near. Really? Really, the end of all things is near? Um, it seems like that's sort of been, you know, this was written 2,000 years ago, so how could that possibly be true? Uh, a couple of years ago, well, actually it's about a year and a half ago, I did two-week overview of the book of Revelation here at the church, and I'm going to share a little bit out of that real quickly, some of those things, for, just to get us started with this passage, but when the word near is used, especially in the book of Revelation, the beginning of the book of Revelation and the end of the book of Revelation, um, there's a possibility that could be taken a different way. Uh, instead of saying that, oh, well, that it's really close in time, quantitatively, pretty soon this thing is going to happen right away. Uh, but the word near actually probably means imminent. The word near means imminent. In other words, uh, if you live in California and you say, that the big one, the big earthquake, it's near. In other words, it could happen at any time. It's imminent. At any moment, California could have their massive earthquake. At the same time, it might not happen in our lifetime, but it could happen at any time. And so I think that when you see the end of all things at near, it means that the wrapping up of history, Jesus coming again, that's imminent. We're in the era, and so were the early disciples, and so was Peter who, who wrote down as the Holy Spirit inspired him to write these things. They were in the era where the things, the, the next great event, great, great event, was the second coming of Christ. And so he could break into history at any time. Did they know when? No. But it could happen any time. There's another word that's used in the, I'll just give this one for free. It's not really in my notes, but is in Revelation at the beginning and ever, is the word soon. So soon sounds like, wow, definitely soon sounds like it's talking about quantitative time. But then uh, you look a little bit deeper into the Greek words there and you realize that that word is really probably should be translated quickly. And in fact, some Bible translations, it is used quickly. It talks about the speed at which uh, Christ will come. Not the when will he come, but the how he will come. And so I, I created a little illustration a couple years ago, and I'll just share it with you today, uh, that helps me understand and might help you remember these two dynamics. So imagine that I text my wife and then at home, and she turns around and talks to my seven-year-old son. And she says, I just got a text from Dad, and the end of Dad's workday is near. And once he decides to come home, he will come quickly, since our house is so close to the church. And he could leave work at any time now. He said that if you've cleaned your room and finished all the recycling before he comes home, and I tell, them that, tell him that you've been a good boy, he will take you out for ice cream. If you wait until Dad's car pulls up in front of the house to do what you should, you will be too late and miss out going for ice cream, you will be left behind. <laughs> so do you understand the dynamics? Soon and near 
imminent and quickly, or quickly and imminent, right? They, they really are just saying, when Jesus comes, if you're saying, I'm just going to wait till I really know that Jesus is coming, then I'm going to live for him. He will come, Jesus said, like a thief in the night. You won't know, you won't be prepared, and he will come and you will be, uh, you will be asleep. So, what will happen at the end? The end of all things at near, what will happen at the end? 1 Peter 4, 6, which is just a few verses before, says that all people will have to give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. So Jesus will come as a judge. He'll come to judge the living and the dead. Okay, that's pretty sobering. When? when? That's the big one we all want to ask. When will that day come? And I've already said we don't know, but here's the scripture to back that up. Mark 13, 32 says, But about... That day or hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Be on guard, be alert. You do not know when that time will come. It's like a man going away. He leaves his house and puts his servants in charge, each with their assigned task, and tells the one at the door to keep watch. Therefore, keep watch, because you do not know when the owner of the house will come back, whether in the evening or at midnight or when the rooster crows or at dawn. If he comes suddenly, do not let him find you sleeping. What I say to you, I say to everyone, watch. So all the commands to come in this 1 Peter 4 passage that that Yvonne read to us and that I'm going to talk about, they're all in light of the fact that the end of history is at the door and the judge could come through that door at any time. Again, people would ask, well, but it was written 2,000 years ago. Why hasn't it happened yet? And Second Peter, uh, in Peter's second letter, he gives an answer to that exact question. Second Peter 3, 3-4 says, Above all, you must understand that in the last days, and the last days really refers to this whole time period, not just now, but, but even then when Peter was writing it, You must understand that in the last days, scoffers will come, scoffing and following their own evil desires. And they will say, where is this coming, he promised. Ever since our ancestors died, everything goes on as it has since the beginning of creation. And then 2 Peter 3, 8 and 9. But do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. So the first thing is, uh, if he hasn't come back in 2,000 years, well, that's two days to him. It's sort of like at the end of church. When church is over and people are milling about in the foyer, I usually am one of the last people to stay. And my kids will come to me and they'll say, Dad, when are we going home? And I'll say, soon. <laughs> Two minutes later, they come back and they said, I thought you said we're going soon. And I say, well, not soon according to your timeline, soon according to mine. We'll go soon. So I probably tell them we're going soon about ten times. Because my timeline is different. And so is God's. His timeline is different. But here's the thing that I want to really point out. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness, like we do. Oh, God, this seems so long. 
Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. So every day that Jesus delays is a day of grace rather than a day of judgment. So we, who are his followers, if you're a follower of Jesus, we must make the most of every day of grace we have. Make the most of every opportunity we have to see people reconciled to God. Make the most of every opportunity we have to see people become mature in Christ. Because his delay means grace. It means opportunity for people to come into relationship with him and to grow in relationship with him. So about this first statement, the end of all things at near, a few things I would just say, some practical things about Jesus' second coming and the end of history and all those things. Don't say you know when he's coming. Jesus said you wouldn't know. So don't just disagree with Jesus. That's a really bad idea. Okay? So don't say you know, I know when he's coming. No, that's been tried in time and time again. People don't know. We don't know. We won't know the day or the hour. Here's the second thing. Don't assume Jesus will come back in your lifetime. Don't assume that. You might say, man, it's getting so bad. How much worse can it get? I assume it can get a lot worse. I it Also, that it might ebb and flow. It might get better and worse. We might see revival like we've been singing about today. And things might change. We should be believing for that in faith, aiming for that, partnering with God for that. But don't assume Jesus will come back in your lifetime, even if things seem dark or seem, things seem troubling. And also, don't assume that Jesus won't come back in your lifetime. That's the other thing. He's saying, I'm pretty sure Jesus won't come back in my lifetime. So now I'll just... No. Just like the earthquake could happen in California today. Jesus could come back right away. He's near. And when he comes, he'll come quickly. And so, the end of all things, it's imminent. It's imminent. So we don't know. We don't want to assume. But we want to be alert. And that's what it says in the next verse. It says, therefore, be alert and of sober mind so that you may pray. All these commands that follow are in the context of the end being near. That Jesus could come back any day. So hear them that way. So here's the first command is be alert and of sober mind so that you may pray. So spiritually alert, mentally alert. Now Jesus modeled this for us. Jesus, if you read the Gospels again and again, he got away to pray. The crowds pressed in on him. Everybody wanted healing. Everyone wanted to hear him teach. All these things. He just, he'd get away from them eventually. He'd go across the lake. He'd go up into the mountain. He'd just go away and he'd pray. And if he had to go away and pray, he did live a life dependent on the Holy Spirit. Did you know that? Jesus, in the, he, he ministered in the power of the Holy Spirit. Emptied himself. Came. And then lived in dependence on the Holy Spirit. And he lived in connection with the Father. He didn't do anything that the Father wasn't intent on doing in this whole plan of salvation. So Jesus got a way to pray, and if he did, we need to. So he taught his disciples to pray. And prayer does a lot of things for us. It gets us in sync with God. Prayer takes us off the throne of our lives and recognizes the true king is Jesus. Prayer gives us perspective. 
It shrinks the powers of this world that might have us worried, and it magnifies the power of God in our thinking to its rightful place. Prayer invites the power of God to change our hearts and our circumstances, and it also invites the power of God to change others' hearts and their circumstances. You know, when you go out and deliver door-to-door, many of you already signed up for Roots to go door-to-door, and this is, we're delivering because we want to raise funds for the food bank because we don't want people to go hungry in the city. That's That's the first thing. But the second thing is a great opportunity to bless the city in prayer. So when you go out, Pray blessing over the city. Pray pray prospering over the city, just like in Jeremiah. Uh, Bless the city. Be part of the city. Don't withdraw. This is the thing. The people of God have always had this, this sort of thing where they could just withdraw. But God has wanted us to be salt and light, a city set on a hill that's not hidden, to see the city prosper and that we'll prosper with it. Those are all things from the Scripture. So, Pray for those things. Pray for transformation over the people in the neighborhoods. Pray the best things. You know what I I try to do? Anything I pray for my family, I try to pray for other people's families. So do I want my kids to get good jobs and get good careers and um, have a good spouse and, you know, be healthy physically and all the things I would pray for my kids? I I pray that for other kids. If I, I prayer walk my neighborhood. I'm trying to do it more and more. And if everybody ever stops me and says, what are you doing? Well, I'll have an opportunity to tell them, oh, I'm praying for everybody in the neighborhood. What are you praying? The same things I pray for my family. Health and prosperity and success and, and closeness with God. Because that's what I want for my family. All those things. So pray. Put on the God of Revival song that we sang this morning on your, on your phone. Put it on repeat. Let it pump you up and pray. Pray for Moose John. Pray that God will, will do a work, a transforming work in this city. We pray because we need the power of God. And we need a transformed heart in order to see the many miracles that God wants to do in our lives. I know a lot of people like the statements of Jesus that are like easily reproducible. Right? Like if, if Jesus said to do this and you could sort of see that, yeah, I think I could do that, then they like those statements. But I don't know if people are as uncomfortable with all the impossible statements. And there's a ton of them. There's a ton of them. I mean, a lot of them about relationships. Like, you know, love your neighbor, love your enemy, bless those who curse you, pray for those who use you. Whoa, those are some pretty deep, impossible things. Try those things. Those are really hard. Rejoice when you suffer Jesus is asking people to do impossible things. And people don't really quote those as much. You know, they like putting the other ones on greeting cards, you know, like, you know, love your neighbor as yourself or something like a little bit slower, but lower maybe. But he's calling us to do, he's calling us to walk in the miraculous in our lives. Well, that's not possible if it's just going to be up to us. This is why we must pray. We must pray because if we want to see God do many, many miracles or major miracles in our lives, we need the power of God at work in our lives and we need a transformed heart. I run into people and they, they like the ideas of the Christ's kingdom and, and all the goodness of, I think they want the kingdom, but they don't always want the king. But we need the king if we're going to experience the kingdom. We need his power and we need his, his work in our lives. We need heart transformation. We need the, the gospel 
to transform us, and we need the Holy Spirit to empower us. So I'm going to talk about three mini-miracles here this morning that you need to pray in order to see these things happen. Verse 8 is the first one. Above all, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. Loving other people who are sinning. Wait, wait, let me back it up. Loving other believers, because that's the context, who are sinning or that you perceive are sinning and loving them deeply is a mini miracle. Maybe a major miracle. But this is what we're called to. Who should I love? Like, love for everyone is embedded in the gospel and in the teachings of Jesus. God so loved the world that he sent his son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. So God so loved. We are deeply loved by God. And so we are commanded to deeply love others. Jesus taught his disciples to love. Love your neighbors. Love your enemies. Basically, love everyone like God does. Love everyone like God does. But this command in Peter, this one we're reading here, is specifically about, it's specifically about loving other Christians. Deeply loving your brothers and sisters in Christ. Even when they sin. Or even when you think they've committed a multitude of sins. It says love covers over that multitude of sins. In John 15, 12, Jesus said to his disciples, My command... Not suggestion. My command is this. Love each other as I have loved you. Like if you were one of Jesus' followers at that point, you might have been tended to blurt out, impossible. You're asking human beings to love like the divine son of God loves. Impossible. And it is impossible without the Holy Spirit empowering you to do it. That's why you must pray. That's why you must ask God for this miracle to happen in your life. Because you're commanded to love like this. Yet you might find your love runs a little short when other people are misbehaving. You might find your love runs short even when they're behaving. Love everyone like God does. And especially, love your brothers and sisters in Christ like Jesus loves you. Even when they sin, even when you think they've committed a multitude of sins. So God's love is our model for loving deeply. God's love in sending Jesus. God came near. God's love in going to the cross on our behalf. God's sacrifice. And Jesus' love for his closest followers. So like Jesus... We're called to come near to each other, spend time with each other, and sacrifice for each other. I love that Romans 12 says, in view of God's mercy, offer your bodies as living sacrifices. I, you know, for a long time, I would always skip over the first parts of all these gospel connections. Like you see, even though my pastor taught me growing up, when you see a therefore, find out what it's You know it. You know it. Find out what it's there for. But I always didn't want to do it. I said, I just want to get to the actionable stuff. I don't want to read the first three chapters of Ephesians. I want to read the last four, three chapters. Because it was all commands and action and stuff to put into practice. But I realized I wasn't succeeding at putting them into practice without the stuff that went before it. So that's why 
That's why he says, in view of God's mercy, offer your body as a living sacrifice. Until you see how Christ has sacrificed for you, until you see how Christ has loved you, until you see how Christ has forgiven you, until that works deeply into you, you won't be able to replicate it in your other relationships. You won't be able to love like God until you understand the lo- until you know the love of God. See, when you try to love and, and you find out your love just dries up pretty quickly, you'll be coming back to God and going, how do you do this, God? I tried to love, but then they did something that annoyed me and I didn't love them anymore. I tried to love and they did something that I think is so terribly wrong that I don't want to. And then, but here's the amazing thing. God saw you in your sin and loved you before you responded, before you did anything for him. Can you love like that? Through faith, in prayer, trusting God, you can but it's a journey he'll take you on into a deeper and deeper expression of love. I think Jesus is calling me, I think he's calling us to let nothing stop us from loving our brothers and sisters. I remember it spoke, I spoke at a 2020 grad. My son was graduating and I got to be the grad speaker that day. And I just, I told him, I said, never burn the bridge on your side of the relationship. In this world of cancel culture, never burn the bridge. So I, I endeavor to do that in my life. I'll always seek to have as healthy a relationship as I, as I possibly can with other people. And never completely and utterly burn the bridge on my side. I, I look at the example of what happens in social services. My wife and I have been foster and adoptive parents for about nine or ten years now. And there's a very unhealthy dynamics, toxic relationships, And that's often why a child is taken into protective services. But then they try to navigate. At what level can a relationship continue? Could there be weekly visits with birth family? Maybe there would be annual visits. Maybe all, there can't be any visits. Maybe all that can happen is maybe there could be pictures sent of how the child is doing. Maybe that even can't happen. Maybe those pictures just have to be stored in a file in the hopes that someday things will be healthier and they can receive that file. So they're making basically boundary decisions. You say, I can't love that person. They're toxic to me. Okay. What dose can you take? What dose? What I see is I see people, they go from that person's offended me, that person's sinned against me, that person's done something to me, done. I'm done with them. I'm canceling them. I'm burning the bridge on my side. But Jesus didn't do that to you. He didn't do that to you. He didn't do that to any of us. So we're trying to love like he loves. So I would, my suggestion is, if, if it's toxic and difficult that way, is try to do what social services do, does. Try to figure out at what dose can we have a relationship. Maybe we can only get together at Thanksgiving and Christmas. And we can't really see each other the rest of the year because this doesn't work. I don't know. But don't totally go eliminate. That's my advice to you. Just very practical. Hopefully it is. Hopefully it helps you to, to walk some of these things out. Also, when it comes to loving deeply, don't believe the media headlines. 
Don't believe the media headlines. Divisive politicians, the algorithm. And how many of you have seen the Social Dilemma movie? The Social Dilemma? Anyone watched it? Okay. Basically, what you click on, you get more of. And so your, what your opinion is or what you're really interested in, you get more and more and more and more of it. And the person beside you who's interested in maybe, it maybe has a slightly different opinion than you do, as they click, they get more and more of it. And by the end of it, you're actually, you're getting wider and wider. There's things that are just causing division in our society. I want to say, don't believe the media headlines. There's a lot of people who profit off stereotypes being perpetrated. It sells ad revenue, it gets them views, it gets your vote. But it's divisive. Back in the 1990s, um, I was living in Nippon, Saskatchewan, and um, a young lady had come to town. Well, I was young then too. We were both in our 20s. And um, she was from Quebec, and she was on some sort of exchange program. Uh, anyhow, so she came to live with one of the families in the church and then started coming to the church with the family and eventually gave her life to Jesus. It was an awesome story. But in the middle, she, um, somewhere in that process, she phoned me one day and she said, I want to tell you a story about, about me. I said, okay, tell me a story. She goes, two months after I got here, um, my friends from Quebec were messaging me, MSN back then. They were messaging me and saying, you've got to come home. It's not safe for you anymore in Saskatchewan. Come home before something tragic happens to you. And she was messaging them back and going, what are you talking about? And they said, we've heard of all the protests erupting, erupting in Saskatchewan. We've heard about, um, because the book, the first Harry Potter book had come out. And some people didn't like it being in the libraries or being available at school or something like that. And that was the reality of what was happening. And so she said, we've heard about the protests happening all over Saskatchewan. Especially that really big protest happening in the city of Gravelberg. <laughs> Anyhow, she, she was communicating with her friends and she goes, I used to feel the exact same way, sort of some fear of Western Canada, by reading the French newspapers in, back in, in Quebec. But I've come out here and found out these people are lovely and they're not threatening and they're actually very similar to us. So don't worry, I'm not, we're going to rush home. There's no great fear and I, have, I don't even know where Gravelberg is. <laughs> that got me thinking. I thought, well, I've been reading since I was a kid. My dad had a subscription to the Western Report. So I've been reading for years that Quebec, oh man, what's happening there? Those people are nuts. And I thought, maybe I should be questioning a little bit of that myself. Right now, there's a potential to, for division that maybe we've never had before in our culture. People don't, I'm hearing people tell me this thing. They're saying, I don't know how to act. I don't know how to engage. So, because... They're in a bit of an echo chamber, and others are in a bit of an echo chamber. They imagine those who are in the other echo chamber really have nasty thoughts towards them. I want to tell you, don't believe the headlines. Don't believe the things that get clickbait. You know what? Your brothers and sisters, by and large, on the whole, even though they think differently than you about different things, are generally gracious. 
As a church, I think you've done very well in this season, this whole COVID season and all the craziness. You've done very well. I want us to just keep doing well. Keep being gracious. This does not mean you have to agree about everything. Doesn't mean you can't have strong opinions. That'd be crazy for me to try to talk you out of having strong opinions. You have strong opinions. So do I. But there's a much bigger thing that unites us, and that is our we're, we are united in Christ. We're united in Christ. So I want to tell you, don't be afraid to engage with people. You say, oh, I'm afraid that if people knew what I think or what I believe or the choices I've made. Come on. By and large, the vast majority of Christians are going to extend grace to you and you are going to extend grace to them. Let's take the boogeyman out of the equation. Take that fear out. I, I saw that last, a couple years ago. Black Lives Matters came and it was a big thing uh, with George Floyd, his death. And, and, and in that, I, I talked to a black woman and a white woman after that. The black woman, she said, I've never been scared of white people in my whole life until now. She said, then I went to a Home Depot and... Um, I decided I was going to get up my courage to talk to a white man. And so I was, at a count, I was at looking at some products, and he was standing there, and I, I stuck up a, struck up a conversation with him. And it was actually ended up being very delightful. Then the white woman I talked to, a good friend of mine, actually, she said, I went to Home Depot. Home Depot was in both these stories. It's crazy. I went to Home Depot in Regina. She goes, and there was a black man up on a ladder and he dropped the tool he was using to, to assemble or fix something. And I went to reach for the tool and I froze because I thought, what are the rules of engagement now? How does this work now? How is this different now? That's the devil's work. That fear inside of us to say, oh man, people are thinking bad of me. I can't throw that off. You're one in Christ. You're one in Christ. And here's the other thing I'll say. Stop de defining yourself by something lesser than Christ. Stop you doing that. Stop doing that. It won't end well. It won't go well. Right now, let me get, I'll just throw it out. Here's two. I'm a fully vaccinated Christian. I'm an unvaccinated Christian. <laughs> you know, the adjective is more powerful than the noun because you didn't hear that I said they were Christians. You heard two other things. So if people, that can't be your primary identity. It can't. It can't. And it can't be the, the way that you objectively look at other people either. It can't be the identity you put on other people. You know what? I want, if when people, even when people see that as their primary identity, I want to push through it. So if you told me one of those two, I would say, oh, wow, that's so amazing that you shared that with me, that you too are a child of God. That's amazing. The noun at the end of your sentence is powerful. You and I are one. You just told me that Jesus is your treasure. He's my treasure too. Love one another deeply. We're all getting a little bit skittish about vaccine mandates. You see, it could happen for the church. I don't know if it will or not. I it's Saskatchewan. Will we do better? Who knows? Here's the thing. I don't have it all figured out. People have asked me, what are we going to do if we come to that day? I don't have it figured out. That's a team decision. We'll work on it as a team. We'll try to come up with smarter than Steve answers, right? 
But this is one thing I, I want to promise you. If a day like that comes, we will act in deep love for each other. We will act in deep love for each other. And people who are fully vaccinated will act in deep love for those who are unvaccinated. And those who are unvaccinated will act in deep love for those who are fully vaccinated. And you might come to your decisions in very different ways. It won't matter. What matters is we are one in Christ. And so we, this is a time to love deeply. If you don't love as deep as Jesus loves you yet, then love deeper. Ask God to help you love deeper. And pursue that in Christ. The community that loves one another is able to forgive one another more rapidly when minor issues of love. Our love is meant to cover a multitude of sins. The next statement, offer hospitality with one another without grumbling. How many offered hospitality last weekend? I'm not reporting you to the police or anything. It's not illegal. <laughs> but how many of you offered it without grumbling? <laughs> it might have been a challenge. How many of you received hospitality? How many of you received it without grumbling? I think in the, in, when it was written in this time, maybe the, the reason why we maybe offer hospitality with grumbling is it costs us something. You, you pay money for food, or you, um, you, it takes a little bit of effort to welcome people into your space. Maybe you have to clean some stuff up. Maybe you, whatever. Hospitality costs us something to include others. And maybe it's a miracle in your heart to be able to do that graciously. Pray for that miracle. Pray for that miracle. Jesus made it... Um, Jesus added to the hospitality um, challenge in Luke 14 where he said to invite people who cannot repay you. Instead of inviting your friends and neighbors and family that this will give you credit in your relational bank account with them, invite people who can never repay you. Maybe just add that to your invitation list. Maybe you say, we're going to have them over, them over, them over. Have you thought of inviting someone who can never repay you? Now, don't get weird about this. If someone invites you out today for lunch, don't think, they think I can't repay them. I can repay them. Get over it. Let's go to verse 10. Hospitality. Do it without grumbling. Each of you should use whatever gift you've received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. God hasn't given you your gifts so that you can impress or flex God's given you your gifts so you can serve. So if anyone speaks, they should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. How can you do that? Pray that you can do that. By faith, believe you can do that. Let the Holy Spirit empower you. If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength God provides. How can you do that? You can only do that if God empowers you. So pray and ask God that you would not just serve in your own strength, but you'd serve in his supernatural strength. You'd push through strength limitation barriers that you've never pushed through before. You'd speak words that aren't just your words. You'd speak words that, you really, that God gives you for people. So you, this is an act of faith. These are many miracles. If the end is near, pray that you can do these things. 
and let God do a miracle in your life. Well, this is supposed to be the week where I was talking about sharing the work, and I pretty much shared our time away here. So let me end. I, I do want to end with an opportunity for you here. Here at Hillcrest, we do stuff together. We're on mission together. We're a team. Why do we have to love deeply? Because we're going to do stuff. Because we're going to go somewhere. Because we really want to see people reconciled to Christ. We want people to be mature, reconciled to God and mature in Christ. We want to see those things happen. And so we're a team. And I'm going to end this with a very weird ending. I'm just going to tell you about all the different opportunities to serve in the church. All the different ways you can share the work. So if you're people who are deeply loving each other, offering hospitality, and you're serving with all the strength God provides and, and speaking as though you're speaking the very words of God into people's lives, well, then it's going to be pretty exciting to be on the team with you. It's going to be pretty awesome. So let me tell you ways you can be a part of serving on the team here at Hillcrest. I'll just go through these slides pretty quickly. You can serve in our tech department. We need volunteers uh, for camera operators, video switchers, media, and sound techs. It's a whole new world back there from a couple years ago. It's pretty exciting, actually. So you can sign up. You can talk to Kurt, Pastor Kurt about that. We also need musicians in the worship department and vocalists. Okay? They, I tried several years. I can never make the audition. You know, I never pass. So they need ones who can actually sing better than me. So please, uh, that's something also you can volunteer for. We need volunteers uh, for video editing. That's another one. How about Alpha? We need Alpha hosts and helpers and prayer partners for Alpha. We really just believe God is going to change lives through Alpha at our church. That's why we're offering it so often. Blessings to others is the next one. Food hampers. We need people to shop for uh, the ingredients and the things for food hampers and then to deliver them. Also, uh, casserole meal organizers and cooks. We love, and sometimes when people are in a tough spot, we deliver casseroles and just help them out. Online hospitality for Sunday morning live stream services. We need about one or two people to fill in when needed, just to be online. So people are joining us online. Hi, online audience, our online family. People have been joining us online. I talked to a guy recently, not from our church, from a different church. He says, I haven't been in church for two years, or since COVID started, basically, a year and a half. And I thought, because he's, he's nervous. He was scared about going to church. And I thought, well, some of the people who are joining us online, that's where they're at. We want people to be hospitable to them, gracious to them, engage with them, interact with them, give them information that they might need. So that's a way to help. Then guest services. So greeters and ushers. We probably need about seven right now just to make this place a hospitable place, help people find the, where their kids go and where the washrooms are and, and just greet them so they know this is a friendly place, a welcoming place, and that we love that they've come and joined us. Mom's time out. We need two or three babysitters for mom's time out on Tuesday mornings. Um, mom's time out is great. We want to give mom... Moms, time away from their kids until the babysitters take the kids and the moms have an incredible time together. And God works in those times. Incredible, cool things God is doing. So two or three babysitters are needed for that. Uh, then let's talk. This is, our, this is brand new this year. It's our free English conversation circle. And so we need volunteers um, to come and speak English with people who are learning English. Just have a conversation in English. That's all it is. But it's a huge blessing for those who are coming to Canada and learning, uh, learning English. 
deliver a kitchen kit to a refugee family, right? There, we, it's this ebbs and flows, and then suddenly there's an explosion. Sometimes you have, you know, 10 or 20 families show up in, in Moose Jaw, and we want to make sure all of them get a kitchen kit to get them started, food and stuff that they'll need in a Canadian kitchen so that they can uh, feed their family and do well. And we want, to, we want to be the face of that. We want to bring that and bless them and encourage them in their first interactions. All right. And then Hillcrest Teens. We need two leaders for Sunday morning when the kids go out to have their time to help lead those grade six to eights and uh, also to teach once every four weeks. Okay? So that's contact uh, Pastor Chris for those things. Hillcrest Kids. Okay, here we go. Sunday, tots, two- and three-year-olds. And, okay, these are once-a-month things. So you need tots, two- and three-year-olds, once a month. A preschool craft leader, once a month. An elementary teacher for team three. That's a, like, there's four weeks in a month. So the third, once a month. And then a tech person to help take kids' media to the next level. Hey, you want to do that? You want to be that person? People who will help with special events or projects like Christmas and a weekend, Easter, or mega sports camp. Those are big projects. They're big things we all push to make happen. People who reset and organize classroom and toys each week. These are all volunteer opportunities to join a team. Conquer series. And the Conquer Series. Do you need volunteers for the Conquer Series? <laughs> sure. Conquer Series is important. Yes. Okay, so I invite you to join. I invite you to put your shoulder behind the cart and push. Right? Let's just do it as a team. And as we do it, love deeply. Offer hospitality without grumbling. And use the gift God's given you to serve. To serve. And you know what? I love what it says that in that verse. It says, when you do that, you're extending God's grace in its various forms. You're extending God's grace in its various forms. You have freely received God's grace. Freely give His grace. Let's stand. Father, we just thank you so much that everything we do, the way that we lay down our lives and offer them as living sacrifices to you, it's because we've had a great big look at what you've done for us. And we're still discovering, we're still understanding, we're still growing in understanding the good news of who Jesus is for us every day. And so, Lord, I pray that we would grow in our knowledge of the grace that you've extended to us and then we would extend that grace through our service to others. Use the gifts that we have. Lord, whatever you've given us, in our, whatever we can do or we're able to do or we, we do easily, whatever those things that we can do and we have strengths, help us to just plow those into the kingdom. Help us just to invest those into what you are doing in the world today. We do want to see your mission accomplished. We do want to see people reconciled to God. We do want to see people mature in you. And so I pray you just help us. And Lord, I pray that 
our teams right across the church. I know there's, there's, there's awesome teams. I pray that we would just grow in love for each other, grow in encouragement for, for one another, grow in affirmation for one another. I pray there'd be more attaboys and pats on the backs and, and you got this and, and, and don't worry, we can do this together. I pray that those things would grow among us even more. You've had your protective hand on this church for years. And Lord, we've prayed that you'd protect the harmony of this church for years. And you've done such an incredible miracle in that way. And so, Lord, we are not doubting at all your ability to preserve us and to, uh, and to lead and guide us in the days ahead. And so, Lord, we just ask for that. Lead us and guide us. Let us be a team. And let us be a family. And let us hold both those things tight. That we're meant to accomplish things as a team. And we're meant to love deeply together as family. So Lord, you're the head of the church. We, cut, we bring all this before you. Grow up your body. Strengthen your body. Use your body here in Moose Jaw. And may you be glorified. Lord, I pray on that day when every tongue acknowledges that you are Lord, that we just get to that day and it'd be such an incredible deja vu. We say, That's the, that was the headline over all of our lives. Not all these secondary things, but that main thing. Jesus is Lord. He's my Lord. And God brought me into relationship with brothers and sisters that he chose for me. And it was incredible to walk with them. Yeah. Thank you, Lord, for all the good work you're doing. We're going to just praise you here at the end. Before we sing um, this last song, just wanted to 